Okay, try again. Hello. Testing. So we wasted that fart. You did. You wasted it entirely. everybody this is danielle oh and this is daniel <laughs> and this is carlin we are hoosier homicide a true crime podcast by hoosiers for hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a hoosier is what is that i don't know <laughs> okay all right. she just said musicals on or help me musicals ugh Got them playing in silence on the TV right now. You can really see the teeth marks in the blinds from here. A small person bit the blinds. (laughs) A small person? Yeah, the tiny child, not a small person, literally. And you know who she blamed? (laughs) Who? Her mother. No, she she blamed the dog. She said, what? Mommy did it? Yeah. Mommy mommy bit the blinds. Mommy bit the blinds in a fit of rage. Maybe she did blame the dog. I don't know. It wouldn't make any difference. She didn't get in trouble for chewing on the blinds. <laughs> well, we didn't catch her in the act. Yeah. You got to just ask ask for forgiveness yeah. and not permission. <laughs> That's my... Mother, looked, may I bite the blinds? No, you may not. <laughs> she looked more like, oh, I did that weeks ago. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't see huh? it sooner. She gets it honestly. She's like, oh, he wants me to do it again. <laughs> Delicious. Okay. We've made it back. Has anything happened? Nothing. Since last week? Yeah. No. Not really. Did you ever stop pooping? I did. I did. All right. That's, <laughs> I what, had the, that's uh, what our listeners have all been. Okay. Well, I had to run They've out. They've all been clenching all week. Well, last <laughs> week. Yeah, last week shit. it was during the regular and the Patreon episode. She was having problems. Um, it turns out I had a thing known as the river runs. Yep. <laughs> just around the river run yeah so um according to burn and lewis it happens quite often actually uh, is it like just the heat and the it's water it's from getting in the gross water yeah, yeah honestly yes and gross i was reading up on it and basically you can ingest a very small amount and be affected you have been infected. it's a it's a it's a lighter version of montezuma's revenge i'm you know what that is? That's if yeah. you drink the uh, water oh, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a story about a Formula One driver, Nigel Mansell, who was a world champion. And actually came and almost won the 500. But there's a story, and I can't remember what it is, about him getting Montezuma's revenge on a race weekend. Oh, God. Uh, How do you even? Do you oh, have I don't to go know. To hospital? I was okay. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, sick. Just I just time? kept, it just kept coming. Yeah. He wouldn't. He would not have been the first person to have shit their pants while driving a car because they were ill. Oh gosh! Tony Stewart once shit his pants and won at Watkins Glen. Was shit in his pants? He yes. He had the flu and he almost made it the entire race. And at the very end, he couldn't hold it and he shit himself. And then he won the race. So it was worth it. Oh, I mean, to oh me, that's one of the most God. iconic moments in all of NASCAR. NASCAR Q. That is so funny. I mean, I feel bad. It's commitment. Like 
That if is, there was any driver in the world that that could have happened to, and it actually like been like, oh, that's kind of cool, mm-hmm. it'd have been Tony Stewart. <laughs> the only way it would have been more funny or better is if it had been Dale Earnhardt Sr. <laughs> uh, Dale Earnhardt done shit his pants today in Victory Lane, and he also wore white overalls too. So oh, been, you know. hey, you know what? At that point, you've done literally everything you could. Yep. <laughs> the sponsors wouldn't have wanted you to stay homesick, so here no. I am. That's that's not nearly as cool as what happened to me. I just had the shits for like days, even. Yeah, and I was like, "Take some emodium, God!" Which he never did. Now, you know, they have the expression of shitting through a screen door. <laughs> Is it the same thing when you guys wear yoga pants all the time? I haven't actually. Like you've had a couple close calls. I've had I'm definitely saying, as much as you two. Near misses with you two having diarrhea. Mm-hmm. It's bound to happen. So I don't. I'd like to know. I don't, think I don't disagree any. with that. I don't know if I've had that. I have to keep you posted. Leggings on. I don't think I've ever had that happen. I've. If anyone here listening has ever shit themselves while wearing leggings, <laughs> it looks like the like a toddler that has you know they make kid leggings the turd. <laughs> yeah. Like that chicken with the pants on. The turd. <laughs> it's an egg. Did you poop? No. Did, no. no. <laughs> uh, well. I apologize that we always talk about poop. It's not intentional. Okay, well, I had to run out during the Patreon episode. I was yeah. like, I have to, I'm we done. Have, we have forced someone to already go write a bad review. I know. I'm oh. sorry. Oh, speaking of reviews, someone needs to read the review that we got. I, I, not uh, one, two, three. Not it. So it's read. been a while since I played that game. Sh- I played that game. You should have said not it. <laughs> that's, that's God, that that took so much brain power. I can't do it. Oh, Boris. He's just looking longingly into my eyes. Okay. This is a review from Ashley Riddle, Tom Riddle's cousin. <laughs> just kidding. Are you supposed to say first names and last It's names? their user name, so anyone can see it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay. Remember how I struggled to pronounce the gibberish ones? Me, me, me. Ashley Riddle, nineteen nineteen. She's gonna, she's gonna I'm send sorry. you messages and go. It's actually pronounced Riddle. Riddell. Riddell. I've been listening since February. I would listen to you guys on my way to Riley, where my son was in the NICU. You guys helped me have some normality in my crazy life I was living. I enjoyed the banter and got a few good laughs from it. Laughs were few and far between at that point. I think you're doing great. And I love that all the stories have some connection to Indiana. I have definitely told people about this podcast with an advisory that you guys are actually people and it's like you're there for a conversation. Oh, I know. Maybe I almost cried a little because it is like, you know, people have blamed us for like they're just saying it for shock value. And it's like sometimes it is just shock value because then you're out of the whatever you're in with your head, your anxiety, your stress, your depression, and you're listening to us talk about Carla shitting her pants. Hey. And it kind of distracts you from the how sad your life might be at the time. I mean, that's the... Right? I welcome it. I mean, that's why I listen to a lot of podcasts that are ridiculous. It's like, I have to survive this day, so... Yeah, so the... So, Henry... Henry, God Henry, damn it, you Henry. can suck Carla's dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I invite it, <laughs> and he's gonna. <laughs> he can kiss my dick. Kiss if I get it. the chance, he's gonna kiss it on the head. I'm all right. Cars <laughs> tore up. So if we can make anyone, especially people, parents that have sick kids, I feel so bad for. We like have a Riley alumni in our midst. 
Oh, me? Yeah, I spent some time at Riley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I stood up during that Riley thing and it was like, no one else did. Remember? <laughs> at the dinner? Yeah. Like, when were was- you at Riley? Oh, when I wasn't, I was a kid, but not a baby. It was when that vomiting thing, like I would throw up and couldn't stop. Oh, okay. The cyclic vomiting stuff. I want you to know that I, I thought spent- that was in high school. It was my whole life. Oh. <laughs> I want you to know that I spent years, years being terrified to vomit. You should still be afraid to throw up. It's messy. I mean, I can do it now, but I still get anxiety about it. Well, I get anxiety about if I think I'm going to be sick in public. I don't yeah. want to be sick in public. Oh, I've done I don't, that. I don't particularly like throwing <laughs> up, but. Barbecue chicken in the street, wasn't that one? You just made that up. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the vomiting affected your memory. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I just threw up on the streets of Italy. It's fine. I was scared the Italian people. As someone of Italian heritage, I'm deeply offended and I would like an apology right now. I'd like to apologize to everyone that was at Cinque Terre the day that I threw up on the street. I don't forgive you. <laughs> it's fine. At least I apologize. Because I'm Sicilian, now I have a vendetta out against you. For <laughs> vendetta. Guy Fox Day, November 5th. You're welcome. Oh my. Anyways, thank you, Ashley, for listening. I'm sorry for the circumstances that you are listening, but I understand the need to want you know, just a good old-fashioned dumb people talking podcast because that's all we are. <laughs> good old-fashioned dumb people. Dumb people. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that things are better now. But you did stop into my work this week mm-hmm. and your kid looked at you and said, when I'm older, can I have my own podcast? <laughs> <laughs> she did. She said that to In my coworker. Nikki, yeah. 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 <laughs> And we were all like, yes, okay, you can if you want to. <laughs> she also said to my coworker, she was walking out the door and he said, do you want to work here? And she goes, I don't work. I stay at home. <laughs> and he goes, how are you going to get money? And she goes, my daddy goes to work. <laughs> <laughs> She's got it right. Yep. <laughs> And then she gets up and just runs to you and was like, can I have a hug? And I was like, she's just milking it. Like she's she knows milking it. Preemptive cuddles for when she screws up next and is in trouble. Yep. She's like, but I hugged you like 45 minutes ago. Don't you remember? <laughs> she I'm knows. sorry that I bit the blind. <laughs> I, bit the, I don't think she was sorry. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> no, she was walking up to people identifying their shirts. My mommy has that shirt. <laughs> Because it's that hustle, the stripper shirt. <laughs> she did say yeah. that. It's uh, my work's like motto is hustle. It looks like a stripper. Shirt. Stripper? Then Stripper's why do you wear it so it's much? comfortable. So she has it and a bunch of people at work were wearing it that day. And she was like, my mommy has that shirt. <laughs> They're like, oh. Okay. <laughs> so she had fun. Yeah, that was a good time. And yeah. then somebody asked her a name. She like told him her entire, entire name. Her That's full what it name. was. Told her inf- entire full name. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, give her this. She did that at the lady at Bed Bath and Beyond. I was like, do you want to give her your social security number too? <laughs> Here, yeah, she said her full name. She said it was. <laughs> There's people that do that in episodes. That That's be- what we'll start doing. Or it's like a scribble sound. It's like, oh, that would be so much work for me to find every time we say her name and yeah. put it. I just cut it. Well, it's better. It's better to be safe I use those beeps at the end as like outtakes. For hey, you remember the time we were at Disney World and your mom <laughs> her pants and it was really <laughs> funny? <laughs> That's awful. There are podcasts it like that. It stunk like <laughs> for hours afterwards. <laughs>
It's so much work. And then they're like, the podcast that do that, it's like, oh, it's exhausting. Do you know what an Alabama bucket is? <laughs> do not look that up. Do not. It's where you take it and someone's <laughs> and then you it. It. <laughs> I like that. What is it when in usually NFL football is when they're like talking and you can put the words in, but they're like cursing someone out. Yeah. And the word machine like puts oh. it in. It's like, you mother <laughs> son of a. <laughs> they're like, okay, time to go to change mics. <laughs> okay, we got uh, to switch cameras here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, good job. He doesn't like the beat. Aww. He's like, would you knock that off? Here, no. you have something to say? <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> Here, hold the mock up to Mada Mouse's face. He'll stick his tongue out. <gasps> Give a speech. He, oh, he's trying to get comfortable, isn't he? Aww. On you. Aww. Oh, oh. Just a big fella. Oh, your elbow's right in my nutsack. <laughs> he doesn't mind. <sighs> Hims is such a cute deal guy. This was a listener suggestion. I thought that was nice. That was fancy, right? <laughs> um, this is from Heather, and we met her at the live show that was on the east side. East side? One of the, the finer parts of Indianapolis. It wasn't bad. Nah, it was okay. It really was. Yeah, it was fine. And the live show with Brohio, Mysterious Circumstances, and Hillbilly Horror Stories. We're, we're all there and we sat and I sat next to her and we talked and stuff and we're like all of you people are just my friends I can tell and she listens to us now but she's she does those what do they call them mandala she's a mandala artist like cool it's so it's amazing like and I've been coloring with my daughter going I am a terrible artist <laughs> 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 like I can't even color in this cactus very well <laughs> you're a good singer too uh, shut up no one likes you <laughs> Here, I'm trying to sh- let me show you good one can you see oh yeah yeah like a real artist you know so go check she's feather fiddler on instagram okay i'm gonna do that right now yeah it's i bet it's my medium is crayons that i keep from boris because he he loses all self-control around crayons because he wants to shit the rainbow who doesn't A brand new pack of crowns. She, she found one. one of the colorful turds yeah. out in the yard one day and went, "What's that? What's that?" <laughs> like, well, yeah. If you, if a crown hits the ground, it's gone. If a crown hits the ground, it gone. So, I hope it's okay that I tell this story. Tell I don't the know story. If just tell me about it. I put do too it. much work into it not to tell it now. Tell it. Do it. Greenfield, Indiana. It's Ooh. around west. Ooh. West of Indianapolis. It's not that far. I mean, no. No. I think our logo, not logo, I guess it's, it's a logo, a picture that I have that's like the sunset at night with the corn. Oh, wait a second. Greenfield? Mm-hmm. Never mind. Greenfield is east of Indianapolis. Still not far at all. No, it's still around. It's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a hike. Well, yeah. Carla's going to look it up and tell us right now. Well, let me, it's probably about 35 miles. We'll see how, we'll see. I bet it's 45 if it's exactly 45, she looked it up. No, I didn't. And we're going to do from the center of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. 25 miles. Damn so it's it. about 10 miles oh, off. Carla under. wins because we're paying over under. Uh, prices right rules. Yep. Um, our logo picture is from there. 
I just know it's from Greenfield. How do you know? I just did you take it? I did not. Yes, <laughs> never stole anything in my life. <laughs> Shut up! I can't go back to jail. I can't go back to jail. Okay, Greenfield, Indiana. She's the coldest person I've ever met in my life, attorney Richard D. Schreiber said during a break in his cross-examination of 37-year-old Teresa Ann Freeland. I'm standing right up there in her face, and I'm not kidding. You can feel the cold. Dun, dun, dun. This is all, I think the Indy Star, Indianapolis News. I didn't have to pay to view these, though, because usually they're real stingy, the online newspaper people. They want money, but I was able to get these. I had to transcribe it all, though, because it wouldn't let me copy and paste. Gee, wonder why. Listen. (laughs) Attorney Seven Gerald Gray said, It is the work of an ice woman who can observe the body of her husband and feign remorse. Even prosecutors in the murder conspiracy trial of Schreiber and Gray's clients called their star witness the ice woman in their closing remarks. She sounds like a cool superhero. <laughs> I just thought, why would you say that? <laughs> cool superhero. She sounds like a cool superhero. Teresa admitted to plotting the April 20th murder of her husband, William Edward Ed Freeland, 51, with her lover, Stanley Wright, 46, and his brother, Ross Wright, 37. Jurors listened to 18 witnesses testify over 12 days before Teresa Freeland was ushered by deputies into the courtroom at 2.40 p.m., February 6, 1990. Two days later, she finished telling her story. The unshackled brunette in red wire rim glasses had a white satin blouse with a modest high throat on it. Flowing brown skirt and pale gray boots appeared more as a schoolmarm than the adulteress and conspirator that she revealed herself as on the witness stand. Hmm. Okay, we listened... Listened. We watched I Love You Now Die, the HBO documentary, yes. the two part. And the first part, it really spins it one way. And you're like, oh, my God, yes, she's a cold hearted bitch. And it's she's... a lot of what you got out of the news. Too. Yeah, it is. It's what the news told you is cold hearted. She cares sociopath, all this stuff. She tried to make a kid kill himself for no reason just to entertain herself. You know, all the things. And then the second episode is a different perspective on her life and his life. So it's really, it talks about what the news gives you and that's what all you have to go on. That's almost about anything. Too. They have, I mean, they have, they have like what, was it hundreds or thousands of pages oh of God. text messages? Yeah, they had printed, like what they did to her, oh, and I wish parents are always present. Wait, they, what are we talking about? Oh, uh, the, the girl that killed her boyfriend, his name was Conrad? Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't kill him, she she talked him into committing suicide. Yeah, right. but it was really this long term. Well, but she didn't really talk him into it. No, she, she helped talk to. She helped talk him through it because she couldn't talk him out of it over the years or whatever. Right, like it was all and he they wanted. Said, you know, they had the one psychiatrist that came on and said that it was a form of an abusive relationship on his behalf. Of yeah, what he put her through because some nights he would be like, "I'm going to kill myself tonight," and then she'd be like, "No, don't." This is all texting, and then the next morning she wouldn't know if he was alive or not. And there was some bizarre stuff. That also. is bizarre. And you also think they're also weird teenage brains too, like that don't make. They're dumb. But the police are like, so do you have your phone with you? And she's like, yeah. Like, is it, could you have the password? And she's like, yeah. And she does it. And he goes, okay, we have a warrant for your phone. And she's like, what? What? <laughs> so don't give the police your phone if you don't have to. <laughs> because then, yeah, it was like 10,000 pages and they had to divide it up and go through it all. So anyways, I only bring, I only bring that up because of the way the media is making it look. And the media is calling this woman the ice woman. 
I don't really know if she was that cold or whatever. She's still guilty of murder, in my opinion. So maybe she was a cold-hearted bitch, but they like, you know, she sounds like a superhero now. Super, no, no, be a villain. She's an evil villain. Ice, what we call her again? The Ice Woman. The Ice Woman. No, I, uh, she could be a hero. Okay, she's not. Save me, Ice Woman. No. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Teresa Ann Sharp Dunn Freeland was born September 4th, 1952. One of two daughters. She said she attended college for a year and a half and first married in 1978. She worked as a housekeeper and at an electronics firm before that marriage and ended in divorce in 1984. She hasn't had a job since. Since 1984? Mm-hmm. Just living the dream? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in her divorce settlement, she received a Honda Civic, some household items, and 10000 from the sale of the couple's house. Her All right. <laughs> yeah. That's enough to go fucking shit crazy for about two months. Her hobbies included flying and karate. When I read flying, though, I thought she meant they meant like kite, like flying kites. I don't know why. That's what I read because it's so out of my realm that I would be a pilot as an activity. <laughs> There's a lot of people that that is a hobby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's not my hobby. Uh, she took flying lessons and qualified for her pilot's license. Ed Freeland was a member of the Confederate Air Force. A mutual friend with an interest in flying arranged a blind date for Teresa and Ed after Ed's second wife died. The mutual friend died two months before Ed was killed, so he never realized how bad it was that he set those two up. Oops. Oops. Ed and Teresa's first date was January 6, 1986. Teresa soon began spending weekends at Ed's. She testified that in the third week of February 1986, the relationship changed. What? What? He earned between 100000 and 200000 a year as a partner in MI Tech Metals in Indianapolis. Worried she didn't have much money, she moved in with him, but denied she was motivated by money. What's the age gap? 30, 50, he's 51 and she's 37. Uh-huh. Eh, and she doesn't have any money and he has lots of money. Sometimes you be like that. Years. Yeah. The main reason I moved in with him was I loved him very much and I wanted to be with him. Her reason sounds strikingly similar to the reason she testified she resorted to murder. Stan and I were very much in love and wanted to be together, she said. Hmm. Ed Freeland had three sons and a daughter from his first marriage, which ended in divorce. His daughter, Patty, said her father was devastated by the death of his second wife, Dorothy Highwood Freeland, 52, from Parkinson's disease in July of 1985. Patty said when Fred started seeing Teresa, it was the first time she had seen him smile in months. On Thanksgiving Day 1986, Ed proposed to Teresa at her parents' home in Frankfurt. He gave me the ring in front of everybody, she testified. Only do that if you know for sure she's gonna say yes. Yes. Right? I I agree. That's right. The day before their April 4th, 1987 wedding, Ed took her to the office of his attorney, Ed Brown. Brown prepared a will for Mr. Freeland and a prenuptial agreement. Oh, things are, mm, pump the brakes. Prenup. We say prenup. What's that song? Gold Digger by yeah. Kanye West. Oh, Kanye. If only we could be as good as Kanye. Um, Are you dissing a genius? I'm a motherfucking genius. He is a fucking genius. A voice for our generation? Yes. He used medulla oblongata in a, in a verse. <gasps> what? Yeah, that's pretty cool. No. He had to get permission from the water boy. <laughs> medulla oblongata. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to say so only because they all them teeth. No toothbrush. No kind of saying is you're wrong. No kind of saying is you're wrong. I just, okay, pause, pause. Our mower wouldn't start. And I had to walk over to my parents' house. Excuse and me. What? The mower wouldn't start. Yeah. Oh, wait. Never mind. I forgot. So I had to walk over to my Never parents' mind. house to get their mower, which is exactly like ours, and drive it the one court over. So I looked like the goddamn water boy. <laughs> and all I could think in my head is, I fixed your lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to use the turn signal one time. <laughs> is that what she says to her? She's like, I fixed your lawnmower. <laughs> I didn't. And it's like, oh my God, I want to watch that now oh we need to watch that's a great one <laughs> yep so that's what i looked like <laughs> twice today because i had to drive it back <laughs> and i try to check my rear view mirror sometimes and i'm like oh wait there's no mirrors <laughs> i don't know what this had to do with anything i don't know it doesn't i'm sorry but i now i want to watch the water boy it's same so she got dragged down to the attorney's office to sign some prenups. I had to sign a prenup before I married you. Yes. It's, a, it's not a bad idea, I don't think. I don't think, no. no. There's nothing. There's nothing to take except <laughs> your soul. Yeah. Well, believe me. <laughs> that one's gone. That, that's yeah, been gone good. for a couple years now. <laughs> Teresa said she read the documents and signed the agreement. The will left her the house, contents, land, and automobiles. If they divorced, she would get basically nothing. She said, I was angry. When two people love each other and trust each other, I don't think a prenuptial agreement should enter in. Well, she said she took it as to be disrespectful on the part of her soon-to-be husband. Yet she acknowledged Ed had reason to distrust her. Two months into her marriage, she was still sleeping with another man. Okay, well, don't be fucking shocked when they ask for a prenup. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) there should be... A will or prenup in place because, like, the kids of his first two wives should get the money he's earned up until then, should something happen to him. Not, and they never do it right. It always, it's like the third wife who has nothing interest in any of your rest of your family gets all your money. Mm-hmm. Everyone should have a will that says, My money goes here, right? It's my money. Exactly. And I need it now. <laughs> Teresa said she twice asked her husband to void the agreement. The second time was in late 1988 in the master bedroom of their ranch-style home in Sunridge edition of New Palestine. New Pal. Where's that at? North. I think. I have no clue, actually. No, it's out. Same. Same area. Same idea. Okay. Close. Okay. She testified that she was surprised at her husband's angry refusal. refusal. He was beet red from the neck up. His eyes were bulging. His veins were sticking out. The man who never hit her made a gesture as if he was going to fist me in the face. Fist? Uh, That's not... That's, fist her in the face. Yeah, huh? that's uh, that's uh, not, 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 that's no. not that thing. <laughs> Teresa, who had studied karate three years at the time, <laughs> assumed a karate stance and challenged him. That so, sounds hilarious. So help me God, if you hit me, I will hurt you. After a five-minute stare down, her husband backed off. See, but, I hate. This I'd bitch. much rather. I would much rather her, our daughter, learn like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want you to learn how to, like, kind of, like, kick and chop things with your hand. <laughs> yep, I took karate. Yeah. I want, well, I know, but I'd rather her know how to get behind somebody. Defense, self-defense. And choke them out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, self-defense, stuff like that. I, yeah. And if you're doing it She goes, so yourself, help me God, Ed, I'll get out my yellow belt green tip. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for their face to turn purple. 
and then pale. Once it's pale the second time, then you can let go. Meh. Or until they poop their pants. If they defecate uh, themselves. They're probably well, dead. Mission accomplished. You'll know if it was me. <laughs> and hopefully you have on leggings. <laughs> that would be a great superpower. Well, if that was your superpower, you could like go up and like touch people, like pat people on the shoulder and they shit their pants. Says. After a five minute stare down, her husband backed off but didn't have anything to do with me for three days afterward. <laughs> that fight, man. But it, can we stare at each other for five minutes in silence? No. Like, that's way too long. At some point, I'm like, I... The stare? No. Yeah. No, that's... One of us usually marches off. March. Stamps. Stomp. Stamps. Stamps off. <laughs> Fuck. You know? The encounter and her husband's adamant refusal to nullify the agreement just destroyed all the love that I had for him, she said. Darn. Ooh. Man. That's all it takes. Piece of paper. He's older than you. You're going to outlive him. She won't wait that long. In the third week of June, 1987, Teresa joined the Red Dragon Karate School at Cumberland. Oh, ha! <laughs> I don't know what that is. Co-owned by Stanley Wright and, the, and Irvington firefighter John Hoffmeyer. John taught the Monday night karate class she took, but she confided to him that she was attracted to Stanley. She said John agreed for Stanley to teach her class. Teresa and Stanley had their first date on Thanksgiving Day, 1988, the second anniversary of Ed's marriage proposal. Damn, bitch. That is cold. Mm -hmm. Teresa also took an aerobics class. What what the fuck? Like, what is your life that you can just go to different classes all day? What am I doing wrong? Not that I would take karate classes. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I don't don't know. She's a fit woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Teresa also took an aerobics class from 6 to 7 p.m. Thursdays at the Red Dragon. Mrs. Friedland said that after her aerobics class, she would drive to a laundromat across the street where Stanley would meet her. Then they would drive back to the karate school in Stanley's vehicle. Generally, we spent our time in the loft. Hmm, I wonder what they did up there. Knitting. A lot of knitting. (laughs) She said they saw each other Mondays and Thursdays, and he called her each morning on his way to work at a northwest side Indianapolis leasing firm where he earned 21000 a year. She said they became sexual in December 1988. In mid-January 1989, after a vacation with her husband to Hong Kong and China, she then invited Stanley to her home. She said they were talking in the master bedroom about 3.15 p.m. when they heard the garage door open. Oh, no. Your boyfriend is in your bedroom. Oh, no. Teresa told Stanley, oops, Ed's home. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. She said Stanley panicked and tried to hide in the bathroom, but she told him to come out. She introduced him to her husband as her karate instructor, whom she invited over to see their vacation photos. We were sitting on the bed looking at vacation photos of how much you and I are in love. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Ed basically went in a state of shock. She said he pretty well figured it out. She said Stanley excused himself and left. After that awkward encounter, Teresa and Stanley were in the studio loft around January 13th, 1989, when he said it would be so much easier if Ed were out of the picture. I think I just looked at him at the time and said, yes, it would be easier. The first time I heard him say this to me, I I didn't take it to mean murder my husband. But by the end of January 1989, she said she knew for a fact it was a reality. Stan and I had definitely decided the murder would take place. The murder of my husband. 
She said Stanley enlisted the help of his brother, Ross. Teresa testified that while plotting Ed's murder, she went to Hawaii. A pleasure trip. A pleasure trip with her husband. I like like pleasure trips with your husband. To go to Hawaii. You don't have to go to Hawaii. It just needs to be a pleasure trip. Uh, (laughs) Pleasure trip to the bedroom, bathroom. The bathroom? I don't care. Wherever you pick. Mm -mm. Wherever. Garage. Our garage stinks. (laughs) With... When they return, she and Stan went to Ross's house. Stan asked Ross if he would definitely be in on the conspiracy plot to kill my husband, and Ross said yes. I'm sure it wasn't worded like that. You want to do this? Like, you in or you out? In March 1989, Teresa and Stanley drove to Washington Park East Cemetery, where Ross was a maintenance man. She said Ross invited them into the crematorium. Oh, my. I don't know if I like where this is going. I had a friend that had a... uh... His parents had a uh, family, a really good family friend that they owned a, a funeral home, and we took them. They were hanging out at the funeral home once, and he and I took them food, and we went in, and there was this old lady on the slab, and I was like, "Fuck this!" And like he went up and poked her on the no, forehead. No, you yes. never told me this. Yes, I, I, it's you know, it's not one of my favorite memories. It's important. <laughs> Well, it just became relevant now. Okay, so he poked an old dead woman in the head. Yeah, and I'm like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, He's like, wait this ain't right. one second. <laughs> <Boop>. <laughs> People in dead bodies. He should have got a stick first. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Why is that better? Cold. People always are poking dead things with sticks. You gotta like, you gotta <laughs> spend your time doing something else. <laughs> I can't. I can't. She said she was under the mistaken impression it would be hospital standards. That type where they cremate people at hospitals. My first response was shock. It was dirty, dark. At the time, Ross suggested we burned Ed in the crematory. I just said, no way. I just couldn't go that go through with it. Ross stated to me, if we have Ed's body cremated, there'd be no evidence. My reaction at the time was it was extremely cold and morbid. Like it's okay to kill him, but not burn him. Sure, sure. After the cemetery meeting, Teresa said she and Stan met with Ross in her car outside Ross's house. She said she was wearing the $800 blue topaz and diamond necklace Ed gave her for Christmas three months earlier. She said she wore the necklace because Stan liked it. The fuck? What is happening with these people? Teresa said she refused to give Ross a $500 check as a down payment on the $10,000 she said she agreed to pay him for her husband's life insurance policies after the murder. Instead, she gave him the necklace. She said she didn't want to write a check, fearing the checkbook entry would raise her husband's suspicions. But if I wrote a check, if I had checks for five hundred dollars, you'd be like, "Where that? What was that five hundred dollars for?" But I guess if you make so much money, I'm I don't sure know. at some point you, you don't notice. Several Thursdays before his death, Ed Freeland had been going to Connorsville to work on a Confederate Air Force parade float. I don't really know what that is. She said it was decided to kill Ed in April on a Thursday, her aerobics night, and stated to look as if Ed interrupted a burglary. The brothers weren't ready the first Thursday. The second Thursday, Mr. and Mrs. Friedland were babysitting Ed Friedland's daughter's dog. Teresa said she postponed the murder because I didn't want anything to happen to Patty's dog. Deputy Prosecutor Marshall asked why she was more concerned about her stepdaughter's dog than her stepdaughter's father but didn't ask why she was more concerned about her stepdaughter's dog than her own dog. She always hated that dog, Patty said to the news. She said Teresa resented the dog because Ed bought it for his second wife. 
So the one who died. God forbid. Yeah. <laughs> Teresa said that on April, that on Thursday, April 20th, 1989, she and her husband got up at 530 a.m. God, that's awful. She fixed him a tea while he showered. They watched morning TV news and shows until 615 when he left for work. At 7 a.m., Stanley Wright called. He seemed to be in a pretty good mood. He told me he loved me. He said it was still on for this evening. Teresa ran errands and was in the shower at 4.30 when her husband came home. They spoke briefly and he left for Connorsville about 4.40. About 5 p.m., Ed's teenage son David called. She said they talked about 30 minutes, but she had to cut him off so they could go. she could go grab a quick bite of dinner to go to aerobics class. Ross Wright's attorney asked her, Incidentally, during the conversation with David Friedland, did it ever occur to you that the boy would never see his father again? I was aware of that, she said. She's getting colder. Ice. Ice cold. Well, yeah, I definitely thought about that, but here we are. Before she left the house, she closed the family dog in the den. See, she was okay with it. She closed him in the den. Drew the curtains, turned off the lights, turned up the stereo to cover the Doberman Pinscher's barking, and left the garage service door unlocked in preparation for the ambush on her husband. After class, she went to the Washington Square Mall, where she charged two paperback back books, a book on crystals and the other on relationships and marriage. <laughs> it's not worth it. The book is not going to help. She stopped for a fish a sandwich and a cup of coffee, then drove to the parking lot of the Out of Bounds restaurant in Indianapolis. That sounds familiar to me, an Out of Bounds restaurant. Yes, it is right next to Inbounds. So if you go <laughs> so far this way, you're at, you're at the Out of Bounds restaurant. If you go so far this way, then you're Inbounds. Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. Shortly after 10 p.m., she said the brothers pulled up in Stan Wright's red Toyota pickup truck. She said Ross in the passenger seat rolled down the window, hung his head, head and arm out, and made a gesture that looked like the OK sign. A voice said it's been taken care of, but she could not tell if it was her lover or his brother. You mean Ed's dead? She asked. Yes, was the response. Teresa said Stan got into her car, hugged and kissed her, and told her, this seals our love forever. Mm, blood, me, me, me. blood murder. Mm. Now you know what your part is. She said her part was to play the grieving widow. Police and autopsy photographs showed seven long gashes on the back of Ed Freeland's head from blows from a blunt instrument and a stab wound through his heart and under his arm. Teresa drove home. She punched the button of the automatic garage door. Halfway up the driveway, she stopped the car. A light went on. The overhead door opened to reveal Ed's body crumpled in a pool of blood. She fled to the neighbor's house in feigned hysterics. Mrs. Friedland cried on the stand when shown a picture of her husband's battered face, but admitted her tears after seeing the body were kind of fake. I was like, you're not supposed to admit that. Jesus. She talked to investigators that night, unaware her demeanor and the burglary already had aroused suspicion. While checking Mrs. Friedland's alibi, Hancock County Sheriff Sergeant Mike Scholl talked to John Hoffmeyer, who told Scholl about Mrs. Friedland and Stanley Wright's affair. It's not hard to connect the dots. But, oh, yeah, they were having an affair right yeah, here in the loft. Where they, were, they said they were knitting, but I didn't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you needed condoms to knit. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. It's what you keep your... Uh... Your knit, your ne knitting needles. The needles. That's what you put them in afterwards. I help can, keep mm -hmm. them safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yep. that. Uh, Prevent you know rusting or anything. Exactly, exactly. Spermicide do. Same thing. Same thing. Exact same thing. <laughs> On May fourth at two forty-five p.m., Sheriff Nick Gulling drove Teresa Freeland to the sheriff's department, where she took three 
polygraph examinations. Don't take polygraphs. Don't just don't do it. Why? They're, they're inadmissible in court and they just aren't going to help you. Oh. They can make you look real bad. Oh no. She said she thought she could beat the machine. But okay. <laughs> three right. times. But soon doubted she was passing. I realized I was in a lot of really serious trouble. And it was up to me to tell the truth, she confessed. The ice woman cracked, said Deputy Prosecutor Larry G. Amick. Janet K. Wright spoke lovingly of her husband, Stanley C. Wright. Oh, Stanley's married too. Oh my gosh. In five hours, a jury deliberated Thursday before finding it's him not very long. and his brother, oh no, brother Ross Wright guilty of murder and conspiracy. She spoke too of her hatred toward Teresa Freeland, with whom Stanley had an affair and for whom he and his brother committed murder for. The jury said the Wrights plotted with Mrs. Freeland to kill her wealthy husband, then bludgeoned and stabbed him. William Ed Edwards Freeland walked into an ambush. I don't... How did they just, like, go along willy-nilly, like, yeah, I'll help you kill your husband? Yeah, it's like, especially the brother. Like, what is he getting at? I guess he's getting 10 grand. I never found out what the full life insurance was. I mean, he was making good money, especially for the early 90s, to make a hundred between $100,000 and $200,000 a year. He's got to have a decent life insurance policy, and I don't think I ever found what it was, only that she was going to give 10 grand to the brother. Teresa said she and Stanley wanted to marry... But a prenuptial agreement Ed had her sign the day before their wedding would have left her broke if they divorced. County Prosecutor Terry Snow said Ross and Stan would have walked out of the door if not for Mrs. Friedland's testimony. Ross Wright's attorney, Stephen Gerald Gray, said, I don't see how the state could have, could have had a case without Teresa. Stanley Wright's lawyer, Richard G. Schreiber, said Teresa's testimony is the only evidence of the events. The jury must have found some believability in her. So they don't have anything else. Just my word saying I asked them to kill to kill my husband. They, and they didn't did. have a murder weapon or anything? No. Damn. Not according to anything I found. Oh, the only... All they had were some used condoms. Uh, everywhere. Some knitting needles and Just a pack of camels. Littered everywhere. A fingerprint examiner testified none of the prints taken from the scene were positively identified as those of the brothers accused in the slang. However, only two of more than 40 fingerprints taken from the scene were sufficient to make a positive comparison, said Patricia A. Jarrett, an examination, an examiner for the Indiana State Police Fingerprint Identification Bureau. I didn't know we had one. Well, duh. Everyone has a fingerprint identification bureau. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Jarrett explained fingerprints of an unknown origin are called latent. Jarrett testified she examined 43 photographs of latent prints, some including more than one print. If an examiner can find at least six points or identifying characteristics on a print, the print is considered identifiable. If matched with an already identified fingerprint sample, she said, it was not unusual for such a large number of specimens of latent prints to be determined unidentifiable. One of the two identifiable prints found on the, was found on the interior door of the garage leading to the house. And had 11 points of identification. It was matched with the left middle finger of Teresa Friedland. The other with 15 identifying points was found on the outer doorknob of the rear door leading to the garage, but has not been matched with any known person. Hmm. So you can't blame her. It's her house to find her fingerprints there. Like, yeah, I lived here. I also shed here, too. Hair everywhere. Everywhere. So then they have one other identifying fingerprint, but don't know who doesn't know who it belongs to. So that's what they're saying is there's no blood. You think there'd be? I guess they threw away their clothes. They, no blood. No. 
I don't know. I feel like they usually find shit. Like I know that. whatever they hit him over. It was the candlestick in the in the conservatory. Yeah. Yes. We were watching that last night. Clue. Mm-hmm. They're making a new one. It's a good weird movie. Yeah, it is weird. In the wrench. It's John Landis. Yeah. Well, he was one of the producers, and I think he wrote the story. So yeah, I guess they didn't find anything. It's just her word against theirs. And do you, what did she do, folks? She rolled first. Took the deal. Roll first. The rights each face up to 110 years in prison. Their lawyers indicated they would appeal. Judge, what do you do as a detective, though, if you have two people that possibly committed a murder and they both are eager to roll? I don't know. I don't. It's whoever they come to first or... I mean, they, yeah. They let, them, they let them both It sing. depends on the information they have, yeah. I feel like, I mean, yeah, they can, whoever they want to go to first, they can mm-hmm. be strategic about it. There is some thought put into it of who we're talking to first. Yeah. Or we'll tell you, I've already talked to your friend, but you yeah. haven't. And your friend has already rolled, and they're going to take a deal if you don't right now. Right. That, yeah. I was a detective in a former life. I mean, none of those skills have rolled over. It's just a, a fart in the wind. <laughs> Dusty, no. No. Yeah. Okay. Their lawyers indicated they would appeal. Judge Richard T. Payne. T. Payne. No way. Yeah. No way. No. T. Payne was on this case? Yep. (laughs) Read the four guilty verdicts at 8.20 p.m. The Wright brothers showed no emotion. The Wright brothers? Did they? Really? Well, was it before or after that they crashed the Wright flyer the first time? (laughs) <laughs> a right flyer I know what those are the right brothers mm-hmm. yeah yeah I didn't say right brothers I just said the rights you, no, said, you said right, right brother. yes I did yes you did <laughs> whatever relatives of Ed Freeland cried tears of relief I'm glad it's over Freeland's daughter Patty whispered through tears as her husband cradled her in his arms Aww. I know it's not I mean you just think your dad's just fine married you know third marriage older just everything's hunky dory Everything was not hunky-dory. In fact, only 11 jurors decided the case because three jurors were excused before deliberation for medical reasons and only two alternates had been picked. Uh, Mrs. Wright paced the courthouse hall. She expressed frustration that others couldn't see the Stanley Wright she knows. She said she never considered divorcing her admittedly unfaithful husband and never doubted his innocence. I love him. We've been married 25 years. Yes, but he killed his mistress's husband. Yeah, that doesn't concern you at none? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, they got convicted. But what's our favorite thing to do? Appeal. Appeal. Appeal, appeal. But they actually got a retrial. Oh. Retrial, retrial. And I don't know. It's kind of, I'm not sure what exactly, like, if it was right away or how long it took for this retrial. Because it, it's an opening statement that they had bones to throw at each other over. So I'm not sure what order this is in. The retrial of two brothers accused of murdering an Indianapolis businessman opened with defense attorneys calling the businessman's widow an ice woman. The English language is literally insufficient to describe this kind of murder, said Deputy Chief Prosecutor Larry G. Amick in his opening arguments to the Hancock Circuit Court jury. It is the, it is the second time Amick has made opening remarks against the right, so we had to start over at some point. The first trial for the rights ended when defense attorney Richard D. Schreiber told the jury of Mrs. Friedland's polygraph test, despite having been ordered by R- Judge T. Payne not to <laughs> mention it. So they said, you can't bring up the polygraphs. They're inadmissible in court. Don't talk about them. And he did anyways. 
Great. So they got to throw a red flag. <laughs> the reference came during Schreiber's opening arguments and led the prosecution to request a mistrial. Mistrial, retrial, yeah. Mrs. Friedland pleaded guilty to conspiracy and received a 17-year sentence, and with good time, she could be out in eight and a half years. In the opening arguments Tuesday, Stephen Gerald Gray, defense attorney for Ross Wright, challenged Mrs. Friedland's credibility. He asked the jury to consider that her testimony follows a plea agreement to avoid a longer prison sentence, a.k.a. she rolled first. She's an ice woman. She's cold, calculating, Gray said. Nothing was found at the scene linking my clients to this murder. Gray told the seven women and five men on the jury. Stanley's defense was that Mrs. Friedland was the most likely person to have committed the crime. It was Stanley Wright who first told investigators about the affair with Mrs. Friedland. The admission infuriated her, and she is implicating the Wrights as revenge. Her feelings towards Stanley Wright changed just as her feelings toward Edward Friedland had changed. Cold as ice. You're as cold as ice. Saw them at the track. Mm-hmm. So she got like eight years or whatever. So she got probably good time because she took her plea deal. So that was in 1989 and she got out in 1996. Not real long. Not How much real long in, at all. Not m- too much time because she only got charged with conspiracy. And then Stanley and Ross both were sentenced in 1990. And Stanley was released in 2016. Oh, shit. And Ross died in 2006. So they got some serious time. I think it was 50 years, 60 years, something like that. They did all because she said they did this. Wow. It's like, for all, I mean, I just feel all nowadays we always want more CSI effect. But back in the 1990s, I guess it could just be like, I told him to and he did it. So now I didn't. I'm going to take the deal first. Ice, ice, baby. Ice, ice, baby. Go on, go on. That's excellent. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you. So thank you, Heather, for suggesting this to us. That was a good one. Yeah, I all I it was different. I was digging through news articles and stuff, but they they had an actual decently length article, you know, long enough for me to make an episode out of. And I still can't believe they got that the both men got sentenced for that long and she got sentenced for that little. Yeah. I guess it wasn't all her idea. Yeah. I mean, the guy did say, like, it'd be easier if he wasn't here. Be like, yep. Man, though, if people, everything I say was held against me, it wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> I'm not planning Daniel's murder, though, anytime soon. The life insurance isn't worth it yet. Anyway. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, you were- um yeah don't cheat on your spouse don't plot their murder just get a divorce like everyone else i know it's you'll be better on the other side for it poorer but better Better. that was a good one there was a little bit of forensic stuff she has some family connection stuff to this but i don't know if she wanted me to say how or who or with so i'm I'm not going to say specifically you know the news spins things some ways and but yeah, go watch I Love You Now Die, the two-parter of HBO. Okay. I don't think I have HBO. Mm, I don't know if it's True Crime Obsessed covers it too, like the audio version of it. What were we singing? Oh, uh, we're having such a good time. It's, um, who is that band? Help. Journey. Foreigner. Oh. Foreigner. But they Wait, played. Who did? I thought Journey did the uh, concert this year at Carb Day. It was, was it Foreigner? Foreigner, yeah. 
Apparently it has none of the original oh. members in it, which I don't understand how that works, but there's uh there's some bands out there like that. Yeah. Or like they only have one, like Leonard Skinner, like the piano player, I think's the only original. Yeah, I guess yeah. Everyone's gonna have Ice Ice Baby and you're as cold as ice sucking. Wanna hands. know what love is and that one too. And, and I want you to show me. Sorry. She's not sorry. Tell them where to find us. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Man, at Who's Your Homicide. And your sister can't sing. No, I can't. What? That was not that. That, that was, was not that bad. I wasn't ready. She didn't, she didn't get a chance to warm up her vocals. I didn't have time. Yeah, I'm not wearing my lucky scarf. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, at Who's Your Homicide on Facebook. All the places that play the podcasts. And there's so many. Podcoin is one of them. If I don't I, even know how you get them all I, on there. If I do commercials about Podcoin, they'll like give us more exposure. Cool. I'd have to do that. Should we make one right now? I don't know. Welcome to Podcoin. So Insert scary. your coin in my pod. pod right here directly <laughs> into BP. And for honest to goodness, stay, stay out, out of the, the corn. corn. Mic drop. Jesus, Mike bounce. <laughs> I want to know what love is. She's gonna let the long snap the long snapper for the Colts know that we're gonna be there as a guest. And she goes, bring stuff to sign. Oh, okay, I'll bring the dog. <laughs> I want him to be signed. Is that too much? Too much? I'm gonna get a football. Okay. I think that'd be cool to have. Can you give me I my want number? him to sign a karate board. Huh? Sign a karate board <laughs> that I broke in half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll present it to him as a gift. Yeah. <laughs> My wife did this years and years and years ago. This was it? brought in by Daniel San. Daniel San. <laughs> Daniel San. Yeah, I was going to say, it just sounds like Daniel. <laughs> Boris, quit licking your dick. He's not. He's biting his leg. Boris. I, doing it very loudly. He's biting what you call his knee. <laughs> if snakes <laughs> had knees. Well, Mr. Coach Klein, snakes don't exactly have what you call pots. But if I had to say something, I'd say we're eating his knee. <laughs> <laughs> Boris, I'm almost done, Boris. Come on. Hey, you. <laughs> Stop. Oh, now he's licking his nuts. Well, non-existent. His nut sack. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. You can, like, hear him sloshing. I know. Here. Boris. It's not endearing. There I go. <laughs> What's he doing to you? He's sniffing my he wants... junk. <laughs> He's like, I lick mine. What does it matter? You lick yours? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Between 100,000. He just looked at me. Look, you know what that look says? Can I fucking help you? <laughs> Quit fucking talking. Yeah, if exactly. You shut the fuck up and just let me sleep. <laughs> he is giving you a dirty look. <laughs> he goes, no photos. <laughs> All right. All right. Boris. He's crushing my nuts. Come on, <laughs> Boris. You can't do that. Nobody likes it when you get your nuts crushed. He goes, well, some of us were, were allowed to keep our nuts. So. 
you or him? I think it's him. I think he crop dusted the room and then left. <laughs> He's like, this is going to smell real bad. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm taking Mata Mouse with me. Mr. Boris Karloff, do you have any closing remarks? He goes, it still smells like shit in here. Does he know how to speak? Speak. Yeah, he does. Speak. He won't do it without a bone. And I don't got one. Boris, speak. Boris, speak. <laughs> I want to. That's what he said. I'm so bored. Boris is cold as ice. You're as cold as ice.